Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. A reading from the Gospel of Mark. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a joy to, to be with you again. Um, I was traveling last week, and here I am back. It's, so it's, it's an honor. This is the, uh, the fifth Sunday in the season of Epiphany. Um, I... It, just curious, how many of you have made New Year's resolutions and they've, you've already failed? Just anybody willing to admit that? Three of us, the rest of you are lying or deceiving yourselves or tried nothing. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Some of you are excellent. Um, New Year's resolutions have probably failed by now. Goals have been probably un, unmet. Um, things that we started the year off chasing for... Um, we maybe we're moving steadily toward that goal and doing well, and maybe you've lost sight of that goal. For for me, um, I'm kind of winning and losing. Like we had some health goals that I'm, I would give myself like if there's red, green, or yellow, I'm a yellow with those health goals. Not moving fast, not dead in the water either, but you know whatever. But then our family also has this other goal for the year that we are thriving in. And we have decided as a family to try every crumble cookie flavor that comes out this year. And so far, we have not missed a week of crumble cookie. So winning and losing all at the same time. But we, we set goals. We set our sights on something. And epiphany is the season of the year. I love it. It's the beginning of the year where we set our sights on Jesus. The idea is that we see him, that we, he's revealed to us. And so as we set our sights on Jesus, I want to look at this passage and ask a bigger question. What does Jesus set his sights on? If I'm looking at Jesus, what is Jesus looking at? What is he going after? What are his goals for his three years of ministry? How does he navigate all the pressures that come around him, that come on him, all the criteria of what he should do or shouldn't be doing? How does Jesus navigate his life? So if I'm going to see him revealed, I also want to hear his goal, his, his ministry, his purposes revealed and chase after that. 
I think Mark chapter 1 gives us this quick and beautiful and powerful insight into the goal, the objective of Jesus. And if we're not paying attention, we could miss it. I want to go back to the last verse that Ben preached from last week, where he heals the demoniac, the one with the demon. He sets this man free. And the last verse in that section, which JR did not read yet this morning, is, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So Jesus is in synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's a demoniac person. And Jesus casts out this demon, and instantly his fame goes everywhere. So service is over, the morning, the Sabbath morning part is over, and now his name is being spread. I mean, just rumor, right? In a small town, rumor runs fast. And so Jesus is, the rumor of Jesus healing a man with a demon is spreading everywhere. And out of that, we go into the passage we looked at, oh, that JR just read. Immediately, he leaves the synagogue and goes to Simon's house, and there Simon's mother-in-law is sick. Simon was married. Simon had a family. I know, right? Because I don't think any of you have picked a mother-in-law without picking a wife. It's just not something you look for, right? I don't think there's an app, find my mother-in-law. Like, no, you need a wife first. So Simon, Peter, had a wife, and his mother-in-law was really sick. It doesn't really explain what kind of sickness, what kind of fever this was. And there's this really interesting transition from Jesus in the syn- going to synagogue, healing this demon, and that whole story is full of energetic language, drama. If there's a dramatic story in Mark chapter 1, it's this story and all the controversy that spreads around it, all the tension there of that moment, and then it quickly moves into this very private space with the mother-in-law, and just a touch, and Jesus heals her, and she's like, all right, well, let's have food. And she starts making everybody a meal. Uh, one person joked with me and said, I think Jesus healed her just so he could eat. I don't think that's true, but it's this really quick transition. And uh, theologian R.T. France, right, he points out a few things. These healings here, back to back, with what Ben preached on last week, and then this one right here, one deals with demon possession, and the other with physical illness, One is very, very public, while one is in a private setting. One is very dramatic, with loud cries and the struggle for authority and commands, and then wrestling about Jesus' credentials. And then this other one is the opposite. It's told without any sense of flair, without any highlights, without any big, grand use of language. And it concludes with the serving of a simple meal. R.T. France says this, Mark does not allow us to picture Jesus as this traveling healer with a set technique, but as a man who responds as may be appropriate to different needs as he meets them. So wherever Jesus is, he responds to that situation as that situation calls for. He's not some showboat champion out to create his healing ministry. He's not, he doesn't have a set technique of this is how I work here and I'm going to keep doing this thing everywhere until I get all the crowds to see that this is my shtick. This is the thing that I do. Does it make sense? That's not Jesus. Here in this passage, Jesus heals very publicly and then he moves more private. And he's in this private space. And what day is this? It's the Sabbath, right? 
And Jesus in the Sabbath space heals once again on the Sabbath. That's the no-no, right? You don't do this. And in this quiet, intimate place, he heals on the Sabbath. And if you read this passage, they have this meal. And at night, this is verse 32, the evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So here's the, here's the picture of the day. Jesus heals at synagogue on the Sabbath, cast out a demon. Everybody goes home. It's the Sabbath. You can't do anything. You can't work. You can't travel. You can't do nothing. And Jesus is in this private space, and he heals in a very intimate and small, non-showy sort of way. And then when the sun goes down, everybody's like, get the sick, let's go. Like, now they can work. And they find Jesus. They crowd the house. They line up the door, and it says, he healed various diseases and cast out many demons. This is a late-night party for the miraculous in Simon's house. Small private setting. Jesus wasn't going out getting, renting some bandstand. He wasn't getting a big tent and, and sending out news flyers. Hey, Jesus the healer is in town. Come gather around. Jesus will be here. They, they know of him. And when they are legally allowed, religiously allowed, they show up for him to fix all their stuff. They, they come and find him. They show up at, at night. And so here he is, a late night doing healings. And then verse 35. This is where I want to focus our attention this morning, not on the horn outside. <laughs> Thank you, whoever that was. Somebody's like, that's my horn. I got it. I got it. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place. There he prayed. Jesus, heal that horn right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Early in the morning, Jesus gets up and goes to a desolate place. Remember, they came late at night, and there's crowds. And it's not one or two healing, not one or two prayers, but many of various diseases. Like, this last week I had to go to the ER, I had some... It's a whole long story. I'm not going to go into it. I'm okay. No big deal. But I need them to look at me for just a few minutes to figure out what's wrong. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting because it's busy, right? Jesus, the great healer, is busy and it's late. And he doesn't take the success of that late night ministry, the late night healing and casting out many demons. I mean, I don't know if you've ever cast out one, but if I cast out one, that's going to take a lot out of me, right? I would be like, I met my quota for the month. I can chill now, right? Jesus cast out many demons and then intentionally in the morning, he gets up early to be with the father. The scripture says that he goes to a he departed to a desolate place. If you've been a part of our home groups and you went through um, one of our last video series we did, they talk about the word there is eremos. It's a Greek word that we translate in our Bibles as a quiet place, a desolate place, the wilderness. In Mark chapter 1, just a few passages before this, we see the temptation of Jesus where the Spirit 
leads Jesus, we translate it to the desert, but the word is Aramos. Jesus, when he is led by the Spirit at the beginning of his ministry, goes to the Aramos to be tempted. He spends 40 days there being tempted, and he comes out victorious, right? He stands firm on who he he is. He stands firm on the Word of God. He stands firm on what the Father has just said, that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He meets with the Father, and he encounters his Father, and he encounters temptation in the Aramos, and he triumphs there. And Jesus, just a little bit later, when he has what I would say a successful day of ministry, and if there's ever a time that he can chill because he's been successful, that he can just relax and let things be and get a little R&R time. Instead, Jesus chooses to go back to the place that was once a place of temptation and struggle. Now it's the place where he has victory with God and he meets with the Father. Do you see this this morning? Sometimes the place that was once your biggest controversy, your biggest temptation, your biggest issue, your biggest hurdle has now become the place where we set up a monument that says, this is where God met us, this is where I've seen victory, and this is where I will choose to surrender to his will and not mine again. This is where I choose to say, your words are true, not my desires, not my thoughts, but your plans are good. And so Jesus, in the morning, dedicates himself to go back to that space, to just be with the Father, to pray. So what happens when Jesus has this big show in Capernaum, when all of Galilee is hearing about it and coming out, how do people respond? Well, if we read it in the English, it seems kind of normal and common, right? Peter and Simon, this is verse 36, and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone's looking for you. That sounds, sounds really like, hey, Jesus, we're worried about you, buddy. Where'd you go? That is not the language. The language here, every translator would say the word searched actually has a sense of agitation, frustration. They're irritated with Jesus. They are annoyed with Jesus. We were doing great. Everybody was at our doorstep. Signs and wonders, power, miracles like we've never seen. And you just sneak off in the middle of the night to go to where? To a quiet spot? To what? The the language here is that they're irritated with him. Have you ever had an agenda, had something you were going for, something you were in a rush toward, and then something was missing and it threw off your whole thing and then you searched for something? And by searched, I mean you're ticked. Like you you have to be at work at 10 o'clock and it's 9.50. You get in your car and you realize you don't have your keys. And then you search for your keys. How many curse words are mumbled? Not, I, I would never do that, but how many curse words are mumbled as you're frantically going through jackets and cupboards and you're trying to find it because you have this goal here, but something has prevented you. And so you're searching or you're like telling the whole family, hey, we got dinner reservations or we're meeting so-and-so at five o'clock and everybody is known for an hour. We go to get in the car and your one daughter doesn't have shoes or a coat and somehow the one of the three coats she has, none of them can be found anywhere. Anybody ever been in that situation? How are you searching for that coat? Like, oh, it's okay. We're going to find you a coat. We're just concerned about your... No. Where is your coat? Why do you not have a coat? Right? That's Peter. That's Peter in the story. 
Peter and all, it says all of them. The boys were like, Jesus, we've been looking for you because we've got a plan. We've got a good thing going and you just sneak off. Are you, are you nuts? Are you nuts? They're looking for him. They're rushing to, to get their thing done. Jesus has become the thing that they want to meet their agenda with. He has become the tool in their arsenal. He's become the side piece that helps them get where they're going. Everyone's looking for you. So they come to Jesus and say, everybody, the whole town's here. We're, we're looking for you. We need you. We, we want you to do your thing. And what's Jesus' response? Cool. Let's go to the next town. That's literally the next thing he says. All right, let's, let's, let us go on to the next towns so that I may preach there, for that's why I came. For that's why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, so it's basically like a state. It's like a province. It's a region preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. How often do we have our own agendas that seem very right and productive and profitable or exciting or fulfilling, and we miss the agenda of the Father? We have these things that are our goals and are good goals. They're good things, and everybody around us celebrates when we're doing well with those things because we're meeting some kind of need, we're filling some kind of void, we feel successful in some way, we feel productive, but we haven't been to the Aramos to hear what the Father would say. Jesus says, cool, everybody wants me, that's great. Let's go on because the Father wants me to keep moving. That's why I've come. Jesus comes for declaring the gospel of the kingdom, that it's here. And that kingdom gospel was never meant to just be in Capernaum. It was never meant to create a big fan base, to make everybody in Capernaum happy and satisfied, to scratch every one of their itches. The gospel of the kingdom was for the world. And Jesus wasn't going to get stuck down with the agendas of the disciples or the agendas of the people around him, well-meaning, well-intended agendas. He wasn't going to get trapped by their plans. He was going to, early in the morning, check back in with the Father, setting aside that space to hear what the Father would say. I think that we are prone to think of ourselves as better strategic planners than the one who created time and who holds all of eternity in his hands. We, we think we're better at figuring out what we should be doing than the one who made everything. The one who knew us in our mother's wombs, who holds eternity in his hands, he knows better his plans for us. So why would we not stop and reevaluate and listen. What would you say? I've told this story before, and even I was teaching at the U this week, talking to my students about prioritizing the, the moment that God's put them in. That if we're not careful, we can quickly fall into this rat race of just completing tasks and never truly be present to what God is leading us through in each season. And this, I told the story of me in college, how I had 
Finally, I had this personal sense of popularity. I felt like I was getting things done. I felt like all these cool things were happening in my life. And God had to, in the privacy of a worship service, where I was by myself, sitting on a pew, hearing his voice, and that still small voice say, Jesse, you are not doing my will, you're doing your will. And I had to make a drastic turn of events. that say, Jesse, actually, I dropped out of college. Most of you know the story already. I dropped out of Bible college. Don't worry, I went back later on when God said go. But I had to because my agenda was becoming more powerful than what the Father was speaking over me in my life. I had to submit my heart to him in that moment. And I still do on a regular basis. I had to step back from all of my strategies and all my planning and all my thinking. And I have to say, God, what are you, what are you, what are you really asking of me? What's really good for me? We can easily be steered by the voice of popularity or the voice of productivity. Some of you don't care about popularity at all. Some of you just want to get things done. You got, you got this bit of a window. You have all these people who have pressures on you and all these expectations for your own life from your, that you've put on yourself, that your family's put on you, that the work's put on you, that whatever's put on you, you got to get these things done. And when I think about the vision of Jesus, he wasn't worried about productivity. He was always after the will of the Father. And he stopped, went to the quiet place, and prayed. That's what prayer is. It's stopping our constant need for the opinions and approval of man and our sense of productivity. Henry Nouwen calls prayer wasting time with God. Wasting time with God. The idea of wasting time infuriates me. I don't want to waste time. Like my wife, she's, the other day, she's like, you got to listen to your body and take a nap. And I'm like, naps are for the week. Like, like there's something in me that's like, that's a waste of time. I would rather watch TV or something like that. Right? Henry Nouwen says it's wasting time with God. And when you read his, the context there, the moment we let, he says the moment we let go of our, our, our need for usefulness to get something out of prayer, to uh, have some kind of result happen, the moment we let go of that, we soon find ourselves being transformed by God himself. Just spending time, just giving our time to the Lord. Jesus, three years of ministry, if there's ever a person who had a big job to do, it's the savior of the universe, right? He has three-year window to save the world. And over and over and over and over again throughout the Gospels, we see him going off to a quiet place, a desolate place, to be with the Father. And it's never when he's like had a bad ministry experience, like, oh, they didn't receive my word. It's usually after the crowds were stoked after everything went perfect and beautiful and signs and wonders, heaven came, success. Jesus is like, cool, success. Let's go be with the Father. I just want to be with him. I just want to hear his voice. Maybe our, our sights need to be set on wasting a little more time this year with the Father and setting our hearts on the kingdom first. I love what Ben and Linda was talking about this morning. We didn't talk about any of that, but the idea that do we really just seek him first? If we're seeking the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is seeking the face of the Father. 
in those quiet, desolate places. Not letting productivity and popularity dictate our move, but letting the Father speak and stir and lead. Henry Nouwen says this, to pray is to say with Jesus, not my will, but yours. Not my words, but yours. Not my worth, but yours. Not my glory, but yours. Not in my name, but yours. Over this last year, we have had courses in this church on Sabbath and prayer and solitude. We can learn all about these things, but if we don't practice them for the sake of drawing close to the Father, we will never truly learn the joy of Sabbath rest, the delight of solitude with God, or the beauty of time spent in prayer with him. If we don't actually get up in the morning, whatever that looks like to you, whatever part of, that, of your day it is, and find that desolate aramos, wherever that is, a, a room in your house, a walk in the neighborhood, a space in your car, whatever that is, if we don't actually practice that, in the midst of our busy, productive, beautiful schedule, then we will never encounter the joy of him leading our steps, of him actually being the guiding voice of our lives, the one who actually holds our future in his hands. We must be people who go out to the Aremos, to the desolate places, to be with him. So this morning I simply ask, what's your desolate place? What, what's that place that reminds you of the faithfulness of God? Maybe it was a, a, a wilderness testing experience that now that place is your place that reminds you God is faithful, God is good, God is with me, God is for me. What's that space? Physical, emotional, mental, what is that space? In this epiphany season, may we learn to see Jesus And as we do, may we find ourselves returning to that quiet space with the Father and then living his will out for that day. As the worship team comes, as we prepare to move to the table, I just want to ask you to to take an actual practical step right now. And maybe in your phone or if you have paper, just kind of write down what pops into your mind as a desolate place that you can dedicate, a time, a space Like, this is where I'm going to meet with Jesus, where I'm going to meet with the Father and ask him to lead my day, not my agendas, not my sense of productivity or accomplishment, but truly to be with Jesus. If Jesus can prioritize the desert place, I think we can too. Let's just do that for a few moments. Identify your, your desolate place to meet with him.